In America, heart disease is the leading cause of death for both men and women. Cardiovascular diseases take more lives than all forms of cancer combined. Someone in the United States has a heart attack every 34 seconds. Every 60 seconds, someone dies. Take the direct and indirect costs of heart disease. They total more than $320 billion. Is it safe to say that heart disease causes anxiety, pain, suffering, sorrow, and financial strain in people's lives? Is heart disease enriching people's lives or making life harder for them? Can we do anything about this? Well, there are some things we can't do, like change our heredity or age, two big factors, but here's what we can do. Here are the top three preventative actions from mayoclinic.org. Number one, don't smoke or use tobacco. Number two, exercise for about 30 minutes on most days of the week. And number three, eat a heart-healthy diet. Those are easy to understand. And we have, uh, they have all been around for years. We know the value of these things and we can do them. Here's what makes you think. Millions and millions of people know the disasters of heart disease and the significant risks of smoking, inactivity, and unhealthy eating, yet they won't give up smoking, inactivity, and junk food. They choose to ignore all the helpful information out there, all the advice, all the counsel, and do what they want even if it kills them. They don't change. At least they don't change very much. I'm 10 to 15 pounds over my optimal healthy weight. Let me be candid. I haven't been willing to make the necessary life changes that would promote my greater health. I'm like this in other areas of my life as well. Heart disease is only one example. We know the seriousness and threat of our sinful actions, but we choose to naively minimize that threat, not focus on that threat of our sin, and we make no changes. We just stay the course. Now, why? Well, there are lots of excuses. You know them, I know them. We could give tons of things, but here's the real reason. We love what we do and we're not willing to change. We're going to hold on to those things. We're prideful. We're prideful. We want to call the shots. We want our independence and we don't want to make the changes that we know in our mind are the best for us. Isn't that true? But today is not about a moral beatdown. That's probably good news. It's not about shame. It's not about self-pity. Today is about rising to new heights. Today is about the hope of God. Today is about making changes. Today is about truly repenting and living differently. Today is about God's grace flooding into your life through the gospel with such force that the current of his grace carries you into repentance and faith and life change. Here's the good news for you if you really want to make significant changes in your life. If you're like, fine, don't really want it. Well, then this probably isn't for you. But if, if you're like, I want to make significant changes in my life, here is the good news. If you're having a hard time making changes, certain ones that have 
man, they might have been around for years. Here's the good news. God opposes the proud, but he gives extravagant grace to the humble. Extravagant grace. The good news is that God gives much grace to you if you humble yourself before him. It takes humility to truly repent of your sins and trust in Christ alone for salvation and trust Christ alone for the power to change. That takes humility. Today is a hopeful illustration of how God's amazing grace changes people. Changes people. Jonah received the word of the Lord. He didn't like it. He ran from God. Ran from the presence of God in his call to preach God's message to Nineveh. His sin brought him big problems, but God chased him down. And when he was almost dead, God miraculously saved Jonah. So Jonah prayed with much gratitude to God from inside of the fish deep within the Mediterranean Sea. Jonah knew the sovereignty and the kindness of God. And Jonah credited his rescue exclusively to God speaking. One um, well, he, he attributed it to, to God exclusively, his rescue, and then he spoke one of the most profound statements on God's sovereignty in all of Scripture, salvation be- belongs to the Lord. Then God spoke to the fish, it vomited Jonah up on a Mediterranean beach. Astounding story, and we've seen God's sovereign hand at work. We've seen that God is in control. We've seen God's grace and patience and kindness. We've watched God run after sinners who are actually running from him. And he rescues people lost in sin. So here's the big point of the entire series. God is sovereign over everything. Gracious and kind to pursue and save stubborn people. And God uses his sinful but redeemed people to reach the nations for his glory and for their greatest joy in him. Now, what should you do with the big point of this series? Believe it. Believe it. See how God has done this point in your life. Humble yourself and repent of your sin So God will produce beautiful things in you and bountiful fruit through you. Repent and believe so that God will give you much grace. Jonah 3 continues to champion God's sovereignty and kindness by giving account of probably the greatest spiritual awakening of history. An entire pagan city repented and believed God turned to God through the preaching of one man. God did an amazing thing through Jonah. So believe this account and be changed by it. We pick up in Jonah 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Jonah ran from God. God ran for Jonah. God saved Jonah. And now... God commissioned Jonah the second time. So it's clear, God's word and calling are gracious and relentless. God's word and calling are gracious and relentless. Let's say that you're a sales manager of of a successful sales team in a very competitive market and industry. You scheduled a meeting with a multi-million dollar potential account. 
and your team needs this sale. And so you send in your best salesman. And then about an hour after the, the meeting was to end, you get a call that your superstar never showed up. They went to Hershey Park for the day. And you saw the Facebook picture of them on the wild mouse. Big old smile. There it is. Facebook for the world to see. And let's say you land another meeting with that potential account. Are you sending the Hershey Park happy salesman? Okay. Aren't we glad then that God is not like us? God has much grace for moral failures. He uses people who fail him in order, in order to show the greatness of his sovereign mercy, his sovereign grace, his sovereign power. The word of the Lord went to Jonah the second time. Jonah failed the first time. God was giving Jonah another opportunity. Jonah had failed God, but God had not failed Jonah. And God's plan and purpose would never fail either, regardless of what Jonah had done. God was determined to get his message to Nineveh through Jonah. God said, arise, go to to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Jonah was sent to preach one thing, the message of God. It wasn't about his message. It wasn't about his creative ideas of how Nineveh could, could reform. It was God's message. Not his own, God's. One scholar noted, Quote, this text, more than anything else, points to God's sovereignty and his insistence upon the accomplishment of his will. End of quote. God, God really wanted Nineveh hear, to hear this message. God really wanted his truth to get to this pagan city. Through Jonah's mouth, this is the relentless and gracious word of God, calling of God. My friends, even though you sin. Even though you run from God sometimes, do you know how gracious God has been to you? God is speaking all around you. You are surrounded by Bibles. They're in your houses, cars, workstations, libraries, pews. They're on your phones. God is speaking to you, his grace and promises anytime you're ready to hear. God's word is relentless. It keeps coming after you. You can read it every day. You can listen to biblical preaching here. You can listen to biblical preaching in other faithful, God-centered, Bible-saturated churches. You can listen to biblical preaching anytime, online, on your iPhones, on different apps, on the radio. You, you can attend Bible studies in small groups and conferences. You can read good theological books from a multitude of, of good publishers who want to teach you about God and, and show you what his word says. God is graciously and relentlessly communicating his hopeful message to you. The simple question is, are you listening? Are you listening? Are you listening or are you like most people who shut out God's word every day? They're not listening. They're not hearing. They don't care. God has shouted his word across America and America is not listening and America is not responding. God's message is largely falling on deaf ears. Today in America, even professing Christians in their pride are shutting God's word out and refusing to respond to it. 
something else is happening. God's gracious and relentless call to holiness, call to ministry, is being ignored. Even professing Christians in their pride are ignoring what God is asking them to do. They're not doing it. But despite our sin, despite our moral failure, despite our falling short, God is still speaking to us through Scripture and calling us to be the light of the world. And if we humble ourselves before him and we repent and turn from our evil way and plead for the mercy of God, God will give us much grace and he will use us in his mission. Don't allow the grace and relentlessness of God's word and calling to produce spiritual procrastination in you. Now is the time to respond. Right now, not a minute from now. Now is the time to respond. Well, how did Jonah respond the second time? Verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Remember all that had happened to Jonah and how God miraculously rescued him. And know this, obedience to God is Powered by sovereign grace. By the sovereign grace of God. Obedience is powered by sovereign grace. All the gratitude that Jonah was pouring out to God in chapter 2 is now translating into obedience in chapter 3. This time Jonah rose. This time Jonah went to preach to Nineveh. He, he changed course. Look at the rest of verses 3 and 4. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. There was, there was tremendous risk for him to do this, for him to walk into that city and preach to Nineveh, because remember, the Assyrians were vicious and sadistic, and Jonah didn't know whether he would survive this or whether he would, would die and, or, or be tortured and die. Jonah wasn't being sent to the lollipop guild in Munchkinland. He was being sent to the headquarters of ISIS, if you're following what I'm saying. Now, how could he do it? I'm asking that question. How on earth, Jonah, even if God's message came to you a second time, his calling, how are you going, man? Do you understand what they could do to you? What had just happened to Jonah? He knew the terrors of his sin and the terrors of running from God. He felt the cold hand of death upon him. He felt the eminence of God's judgment. He encountered the miraculous power of God. He tasted the sweetness of God's mercy and grace and forgiveness. He was being led by the sovereign purpose and will of God. Twice he received a call to preach. Those are motivating things. They're inspiring. Nineveh was a big city. The phrase three days journey in breath is difficult to translate. Did it mean Three, it, it took three days to walk from one end of the city to the other end of the city, three days to preach throughout all of the city, three days to walk the circumference of the city, three days to cross the, the greater Nineveh area, including the outlying villages. 
Well, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what that means, but what we do know is that Nineveh was a big, significant city of Assyria. Bursting with Assyrians, bursting with animals, bursting with paganism, bursting with animosity toward the Hebrews, and we know that God cared a lot about this pagan city. I believe Jonah was able to obey God's call to preach in a tough place because God had been so gracious to Jonah in his rebellion. God had a plan. Remember this little type of rhyme, sovereign grace motivates. Sovereign grace motivates. Jonah's obedience was was powered by the grace and providence of God in his life. Jonah headed to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord because God's call and God's word was greater than the risk of horrific death. And I want you to to think about that. God's word and God's calling is better, is greater, is more profound than the risk of horrific death. Following God was better than personal safety. Grace was so marvelous, so transformative for Jonah that he walked into threatening Nineveh to people far from God and began to preach a very aggressive message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. You're going to be decimated. Now, are you attempting great things for God because you have tasted the sweetness of God's mercy, grace, and power and forgiveness? Does God's favor for you motivate you? Are you confident that the torrent, I'm trying to use a big word there, the the deluge of God's sovereign grace over you will produce greater holiness in you and greater ministry through you? Jonah found himself preaching to hostile Nineveh. Not because he had been so faithful to God, but because God had been so faithful to him. Obedience to God is powered by sovereign grace. If you dwell on your guilt, blame, and shame because of your sin, and you fail to get your eyes off of your sin, and onto God's grace and power through Jesus Christ, You'll just grow depressed. You'll just be so discouraged you can't do anything and you won't make it into the greater ministry or fruit that God has for you. Don't allow your guilt to overshadow God's grace. Humble yourself. Repent. Receive God's grace marvelous and relentless grace and answer the call, Jerusalem church, that God has on your life. Study the scriptures so that you know what great things God is calling you to. Obedience to God is powered by the sovereign grace of God. Let me ask you an important question here. What is the purpose of preaching? Uh, Or maybe you could ask it this way. Why should anyone listen to preaching? We devote a lot of time to it at Jerusalem Church. Most of our service is preaching. Why? Why why preach? Well, there is so much to be said here, but let let me answer it this way. The purpose of biblical preaching is to see and savor 
the glory of God. Through his self-revelation and to therefore be changed by it and to respond to it. God reveals his glory to us through scripture and when we encounter his glory in his message, we are changed by it and respond to it. My point, preaching God's word changes people. Preaching God's word changes people or should I say, God changes people through preaching. Look back at verse two. Call out against it the message that I tell you. You see, God had something to say to Nineveh. Jonah was was to hear that message and then to proclaim that message to these people. And Jonah did that. He called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He, He preached God's severe warning to the people. Be warned, Nineveh. God is coming after you. And you know what? One of the most amazing things that has ever happened in history, happened in Nineveh. A spiritual awakening broke out through this pagan city. An awakening that I don't think has ever been matched. Listen to the response to Jonah's preaching. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. (laughs) Amazing. The entire city of Nineveh believed God and repented of their evil lifestyle. God graciously changed a pagan city through preaching. Now, Some scholars, they argue whether the repentance of Nineveh was sincere. And within about 100 years, sadly, Nineveh returned to its evil. Just study the book of Nahum. But I think Nineveh truly repented and changed. And here's why. Number one, Nineveh believed God. That's what verse 5 says. Number two, Nineveh grieved over their evil and sin. They humbly fasted. They began to respond before the official government edict was issued. The people changed. They put on sackcloth. Sackcloth was made from goat hair or camel hair and was really coarse, kind of like a burlap bag. It's not very comfortable to wear, but sackcloth signified remorse and humiliation and mourning. Even the animals were covered with sackcloth. The king sat in ashes, which also signified remorse, humiliation, and mourning. Number three, Nineveh prayed corporately. The the ruler over Nineveh issued a proclamation to call out mightily to God, not to their former pagan gods, but to the God. The word mightily means vehemence or force or great intensity. This was a massive prayer outbreak, a movement of prayer. Number four, Nineveh turned from their evil ways and violence. Nineveh's repentance was real because it resulted in actual life change. 
They turn from their evil way. Verse 10 confirms that. L- listen to what theologian and author J.I. Packer wrote. Quote, Repentance is a change of mind issuing in a change of life. That's what happened in Nineveh. Number five. Nineveh knew that God might be merciful to turn from his seething anger and judgment toward them. Somehow Nineveh was hearing repentance. Somehow Nineveh was hearing about the mercy of God and the potential of of his mercy coming to them. Verse 4 is likely an abbreviation of the preaching of of Jonah. I, I don't think that it's everything. He probably said more, probably something about repentance, probably something about the mercy of God. We don't know for sure, but one reason that I believe that is because Nineveh knew the coming destruction was because of their sin and knew to respond to God's message with repentance. They knew what to do. Where'd they get that idea? I think they got it from Jonah. Another reason is that they thought turning from their sin was actually worth it at this point, and it might make a difference in the end for them. Lastly, if you closely study Luke 11, you might want to jot that down, Luke 11, verses 29 through 32, it seems as if Jesus suggests that Nineveh knew God miraculously rescued Jonah. Jesus said this, For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. And I take Jesus to mean that Jonah was a sign of God's miraculous power, resurrection power, to the Ninevites because Jonah told the Ninevites about what happened to him. Otherwise, Nineveh wouldn't have known that Jonah was a sign of God's miraculous power. You following my logic there? So all this to say that I think Jonah preached more than verse 4. And the Ninevites knew about repentance and they knew about mercy and the grace of God. Now, repentance is not the likely end to this story. Do you realize that? It would have been much more likely that Nineveh maimed and cut Jonah to pieces and paraded the pieces of his body throughout the city. That would have been an appropriate ending. Not appropriate, but you know what I mean, like the logical ending to the story. But Nineveh believed. And Nineveh turned and they repented at Jonah's preaching. How is that possible? Salvation belongs to the Lord. That's how it's possible. Salvation belongs to the Lord. God had willed a mass Assyrian spiritual awakening. God used Jonah's preaching to spark spiritual change in an entire city. God changes people through preaching. We preach God's word because God uses his word to transform people. And when true transformation happens, it gives glory to God. We say, how in the world could Jerusalem church possibly awaken to the preaching of the gospel and change God? That's how. Because God does powerful things through preaching, not through Jonathan, through his word. God gets glory. More and more people are happy in God. You see, sadly, too too few churchgoers experience the power of preaching because so much preaching is filled with the ideas of the preacher instead of God's message. Please hear this. The preacher 
has something worth saying only if he is saying what God has said. Who cares about my ideas? Who cares about the pastor's ideas of Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, the, the, the globe? Nobody cares about what they have to say. We care about what God has to say through the preacher. Oh, that there would be a resurgence of Bible-saturated, gospel-centered, expository preaching in Lancaster County. Maybe a great spiritual awakening would happen here. And we need it. Okay, so here's where I want to end. God gives grace to those who humbly repent and believe. God gives grace to those who humbly repent and believe. Listen to verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God gave Nineveh mercy and grace and favor because they humbled themselves and called out mightily to God, begged him for mercy, and they turned from their evil way. They didn't continue in the lifestyle that they had. They didn't add God to their already wicked lifestyle. They changed course. They repented. Now, there was something in Jonah 3 that could take another hour or more to explain. I don't want to do that, but I should offer a few comments here. It appears as if God changed his mind in Jonah 3. Can you see that? Scholars debate this point. The question, very simply put, is, does God change his mind? And I want to answer that for you with two scriptures. Tons more, but just two. Let's keep it simple. Numbers 23, verse 19. Listen to it. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he not said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Ezekiel 24, verse 14. I am the Lord. I have spoken. It shall come to pass. I will do it. I will not go back. I will not spare. I will not relent. According to your ways and your deeds, you will be judged, declares the Lord God. Now, it seems as if God is contradicting himself in his word. So, do we just quickly reject the Bible because it appears to contradict itself? Aha, look, we have reason to say Christianity is completely false. Let's bail on it. It's stupid. God contradicts itself. Or should we think harder, study longer, go deeper to know what he really means by these things? Could it be that God will not relent unless people repent? And the message of repentance is implied in God's message of judgment. You see, the gospel is judgment, but the gospel is also good news of mercy through repentance and faith. God will relent if you repent. Could it be that God's intellect is higher than ours? Could that be? And the only way for us to understand what God does is for God to use language understandable to us, R.C. Sproul calls it anthropological language. Ligon Duncan calls um, it an easily misunderstood figure of speech. God relenting describes God in a human way so that we can understand God better. Otherwise, what language would God use? 
uh, divine language that we can't understand? Apply this to Jonah 3. When it says God relented, it is not to say God relented like we relent. Dr. John Piper said, quote, when God changes his mind or regrets, he does not do it like man because he knew he would do it. Yeah, that makes sense. Think about that. Did God really change if he knew the so-called change was coming? Nothing changed. God simply carried out his sovereign will and purpose for Nineveh. The point isn't whether God went back on his word or not. The point is God has always been ready to turn his judgment from people who repent. That's the point. Dr. Sproul wrote this, Out of his gracious heart, he only does what he has promised to do all along, not punish sinners who repent and turn from their evil ways. He chooses not to do what he has every right to do. End of quote. That's good. That's good. Don't miss the overwhelmingly prominent point of Jonah 3. God is gracious and does not destroy sinners who humbly repent and trust in him. That's verse 10. God turning his judgment away is totally consistent with the nature and character of God. This is what God does. This is the gospel. If, if God would have changed in Jonah 3, he would have ultimately destroyed uh, Nineveh even though Nineveh repented. That would have been a change in God's character. Verse 9 is also significant because God's mercy, grace, and salvation were hopeful for Nineveh. They, they looked for that to happen. The character of God being gracious and merciful. Listen closely to this. Ultimately, God did destroy, but not Nineveh. His son. His son. That's why God could spare Nineveh. Because of the person and work of Jesus. Because of the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. I think Jeremiah 18, verses 7 through 11 will help you understand. You might want to jot that down. But let me read for you Jeremiah 18, verses 7 and 8. Just two verses. If at any time, this is God. If at any time... I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. And if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. That's what happened in Nineveh. My friends, this applies to you. This applies to me. God will overthrow you in your sin. God will destroy you if you live in sin and refuse to turn from your evil way. He will not relent. He will keep his word. But, If you repent, if you turn from your evil way, if you trust in the power of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for salvation and also for holiness of life, God will keep his word and relent from the disaster he otherwise warned you of. You have been warned. You have heard the message of God. Turn and live. 
Please understand that God opposes the proud, but he gives extravagant grace and pours it out on all those who humble themselves before him. James 4, 6. God says in Ezekiel 18, verse 32, For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God, so turn and live. Turn from your sin, Jerusalem, and live. Turn to Christ and live. That's God's message for you. Look at God's grace toward Jonah. Look at God's grace toward Nineveh. Look at God's grace toward you. And repent. Repent. My friends, you cannot keep your sin. You must humble yourselves and turn from your evil way. Then God will relent. Otherwise, judgment is coming for you. God gives grace when you repent and believe. God forgives you. God blesses you. God strengthens you to live for him. God sends you on his mission because you are recipients of sovereign grace. God, you are great. You are glorious. I pray that your awesome, sovereign grace and kindness and favor is so precious to us this morning that we actually turn from our sin, that we change course. Oh God, give us the gift of repentance. Help us to see our evil way. Help us to see our sin. Help us to, to, to find it horrific and to turn from it to you and almighty God who has much grace for all the humble who say, I can't do it. I am terrible. I am evil. Look in my heart, oh God, but save me, a wretched man that I am. God, may that be the cry of Jerusalem church. And I pray that for all the churches in Lancaster County, that repentance will be preached. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Because sometimes, God, we abuse your grace. We say, I got grace tomorrow. Yes, we do, but it's meant to lead us into repentance. Help us not to hold on to our sin and to make stupid excuses. God, expose the sin, convict us, lead us to repentance, lead us to life change, and then lead us to awesome joy and peace and goodness in your holiness and in your grace and in your mercy because, God, we're pathetic. But when you show up and you change and you pardon sinners... God, even though we're messed up, you look at us and say, you're mine, you're beautiful, and I'm going to make something of you as I purge the evil from inside you, as I sanctify you, making you like my son. Thank you for your sovereign grace, God. Do a movement of repentance in Jerusalem church and help it to carry out to those in the Mannheim Project and carry out to those in in Mannheim and Lidditz and in Lancaster County and in Pennsylvania, in our great nation, in the world. Help us to bow the knee to King Jesus, to turn from our sin and to experience the great hope and joy and peace and promise that we have in the gospel. 
In the name of Jesus, for the fame of Jesus alone, we pray. Amen.